Let us pray. Let us turn on the microphone. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Jesus, we thank you for the great gift of the Holy Eucharist, the memorial sacrifice by which you make yourself present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, and offer yourself to us because you desire to draw us into total union with you. Help us to be amazed anew at such a wondrous gift and at the great expanse of your love for us. Expand the desires of our hearts to receive everything that you desire to give to us. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That sounds... <clears throat> if you go to this website, tinyurl.com slash refuel, I hope I spelled that right, 2019, you will be able to download four little PDF files. They're not so little. One is all my slides that we've been using, as promised. Another one is the best short article on relational prayer I've ever seen in my life by Father Armand Nigro. And it's called Prayer, A Personal Response to God's Presence. Right? So as we enter into Mass, we're reminded of God's presence. The Lord be with you. And that is the thing that should uh, move me to pray. And whenever I feel stuck in prayer, the good thing to do is to remember that God is present and gazing upon me with love. And that will help me tremendously. So you'll find Father Nigro's article there. And then the second part of that article is a way of praying with Scripture. And it's a very easy, accessible, easy to apply, and memorable way of teaching Lexio Divina. Okay. If we want to enter more deeply into the Mass and the power, the saving power of Christ made present and effective for us, we want to pray with those Mass readings before we go to Mass. I'll say in a second, but you should make up your own homily before you go to Mass, right? Spend enough time with the readings that you have something like, what's the truest thing that this Word of God is speaking to me in my circumstances of my life? That if I had a chance to get up and proclaim to people, I would proclaim. What does it mean to me? What difference does it make? How is God blessing me through this Word? And I guarantee you, if you go to Mass, Father might not say a thing about that, but it will help you to receive what God is saying through the ministry of the priest as well. So there's a great way of praying with scripture in Father Nagro's article. Thirdly in there, you'll find a handout on intercessory prayer, a number of excellent quotes from the Catechism and Pope Francis, Evangelium Gaudium, on the work of intercessory prayer. And last but not least, you'll see uh, there's just today, uh, Monsignor Charles Pope, who's a priest of the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. A lot of his stuff is linked on newadvent.org. He had a great list of 150 biblical titles for Christ that we can use to praise the holy name of Jesus Christ. And he has the scripture reference right to them. And he had it in a PDF, so I threw it up there, and you can have that from Monsignor Charles Pope, all of which will make sense as we go through this conference. Okay, so tinyurl.com, refuel slash, refuel2019, those will, all of those will be available to you. We're talking about the mercy of Jesus, the love of God poured out on our misery, not only for the forgiveness of sins, but for the healing of our bodies, minds, and spirits. Here's a clue. Like when I go to the penitential rite, what do I want to be especially attentive to? I want to be especially attentive to wherever I am wary, <laughs> on guard, fearful, okay, or where I'm weary. <laughs> so anywhere inside that you feel like that or like that in your relationships and the stuff going on in your own heart, 
in your situations in life. Those are things to present to God and cry out, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. Those are things that need to receive the loving power of God's mercy so that we can be free squirrels. Yes! He's a happy squirrel. Look at that. Not like that. Not like that. Woo! Okay. After we... So let's, let's think of the movement of the Mass. We come in, Holy Water Fonts remind ourselves of the Baptist, and we begin Mass in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we remember that God is present. The Lord be with you. And we pray that you'd be present in the ministry of the priest and with your spirit, Father. Please. And then let us call to mind our sins. I'm in the presence of God who is holy, and I recognize in my sinfulness that I am not. And I should have that gift of confirmation of the fear of the Lord and be trembling to enter into the holiness of God's presence, but trusting in his mercy. And so I ask, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. And the priest prays the prayer of absolution, which in fact forgives our venial sins. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. And what do we do on solemnities and feasts and Sundays? We bust out into praise of God, glory to God in the highest. Of course we do. How can we contain ourselves that when God responds to our cry for mercy, his forgiveness is ready at hand, and the fullness, the plenary fullness of his blessing is ready to be poured out upon us. Of course we're singing glory to God in the highest. So our mercy, the mercy received, erupts in thanks and praise. Jesus, God, saves us from our sins. The name of Jesus, right, is God saves. Yeshua. And Jesus Christ, glory to God in the highest, right? It's the, the angels, that's why I have the picture. It's the angels to the shepherds on Christmas night, right? Glory to God in the highest and peace. Our Savior is born for us. I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for you and all the people. For a Savior is born to us, who is Jesus, saving us from our sins, who is Emmanuel, God with us. He's so close to us. He's entered into our humanity, the humility of the Son to be born of the Virgin Mary and enter into our human condition. We praise you. We adore you. Adoration is a loving gaze. We adore Jesus because he's imminently lovable. He is good and true and beautiful. He is the author of all goodness, truth, and beauty. Everything else in the world that I see that is good and true and beautiful, which are so many things, the world is full of God's in creation, God's creative activity of goodness, truth, and beauty, but they just reflect a little bit, uh, a snowflake on the Mount Everest of the infinite beauty, goodness, truth of God who is infinitely lovable. So I want to look upon God with love. And we have the great gift of adoration of the Blessed Sacrament in many of your parishes, many times in different ways. And even if not, I can always go and adore Jesus still in the tabernacle just to enter into his presence, maybe for five minutes on my way home from work if I'm passing by a church where the tabernacle is op available, like the chapel's open and available. What does it mean for us to glorify God? We praise you, we adore you, we glorify you. How can I, a creature, glorify God? Well, St. Ignatius in the Spiritual Exercises offers us, I think, this very handy handle to get on that work of glorifying God. To glorify God means to make God known and loved more in every human heart and to be known and loved in more human hearts, right? So that more and more people will know and love God and that each person will know and love God more. That is us glorifying God. 
when Mary says, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, my soul magnifies the Lord, she's giving glory to God in her being. She's revealing to others the greatness of God, and it makes God more lovable and more known in the hearts of many people. Have mercy on us and receive our prayer, we sing in the Gloria. And we acknowledge that Jesus is the Holy One, the Lord and the Most High. I have to look it up. <laughs> I can never do it outside of Mass. <laughs> uh, at the end of the Gloria, right, what do we have? You alone are the Holy One, Jesus. You alone are the Lord. You alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father. So as we're glorifying God, we have this special focus on Jesus, because he's the one who was born, glory to God in the highest, and dwelt <coughs> among us. He is Emmanuel. But through him, with him, and in him, we're entering into the very life of the Trinity, with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father. Amen. Okay. So the Gloria, a great song of praise that erupts in our hearts. I want to say a little bit about praising God. This is a habit that we're invited to throughout the Mass, to give praise to God, and the Gloria is a great moment of it. Uh, here's a helpful distinction. I praise God for who he is. I thank God for what he's done. Okay? And, of course, these aren't hard and fast categories because what God does reveals who he is in himself. And so I can thank God because he's forgiven my sins, but I can praise God because he's merciful, right? I can, so I praise God for who he is. He is merciful. I thank God for what he's done. He's forgiven my sins. And the works of God always reveal the nature of God. And I want to encourage you to take up the practice daily in your lives of very intentionally taking time to praise God. Here's a bunch of things we can praise God, God for. Praise God because you are holy. I praise you because you are good. I praise you because you are loving. I praise you because you are merciful. I praise you because you are just and beautiful and patient. This is a good list. I praise you for your power, for your generosity, for your humility. I praise you because you are awesome. I praise you because you are one and true and beautiful. The whole creed has a bunch of stuff that is words of praise of God. You know, Jesus Christ. True God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten and not made, consubstantial with the Father. This is all who Jesus is, and we are praising him as we confess faith in who Jesus is. So we enter your gates with thanks. We enter your courts with praise. Did I get that right? Yes, I think I did. We enter into your gates with thanksgiving. We enter into your courts with praise. To enter into the real presence of our God in the Holy Mass Praise and thanksgiving are like the things that carry us into the very throne room of God. As heaven meets earth in the mass, right? We are caught up in the eternal praise and thanksgiving of God by all the angels and saints in heaven in our own gathering and communal praise and thanksgiving to God. Woo. Now, I learned something about praise and thanksgiving uh, when I took a year off of school between my sophomore and junior year. Uh, a lot of stuff had changed in my life in my sophomore year of college, as I was sharing with you a little bit yesterday. And uh, as I was volunteering at this Bible camp the summer after sophomore year of college, I woke up one day, and I was convinced of these three truths, which no one had told me, but God revealed in my heart, that he has a plan for my life, that that's how I'm going to be most happy. And I've never asked God what that plan is, and I think I should, and the more I thought about those things, the more joyful I became. That day when I woke up with those thoughts, those were my waking thoughts on a Monday morning, 
one of the other guys uh, at camp who were volunteering on staff came up to me at lunch. I hadn't really visited with him. He's like, hey, your name's Scott, right? I said, yeah, skinny, right? His name was Skinny Miller. <laughs> he was taller than I was and much skinnier. And uh, he's like, yeah, and skinny's a Calvinist. He says, I think you're supposed to have this. And it came in the mail this morning from his Calvinist mom. And uh, what was it? It was the prayer of Cardinal Newman, a famous convert to Catholicism. And the prayer starts out, God has created me for some particular purpose. He has entrusted to me a task he has not entrusted to another. I may not know what that task is in this world, but I'll be told it in the next. I'm like, oh, it's true. God has a plan for my life. Sweetie just gave me the sheep from this guy I've never heard of. Who's trying to move it? I don't know. Oh, my goodness. Praise God. All right, so long story short, I decided to take a year off and ask God, what's the plan then? And I end up, praise God, with uh, Net Ministries, the National Evangelization Teams. Does Net come through Rapid City? Yes. yes. Net yes. yes. So I was on Net from 1992-93, that school year, and changed my life. Uh, I made my first confession since my first confession at training, uh, daily mass, learning something about the faith that I hadn't quite picked up in my 12 years of Catholic school, uh, and then the work of giving the retreats and seeing how God would work in power in young people's lives as we're just doing our simple things, giving a little talk, a little testimony, little small group conversation. Amazing year. Life-changing year. And it was during that year that God called me to be a priest. Well, as part of NET, you're committed to a, an hour of personal prayer every day, and you're committed to an hour of the team prayer every day. And team prayer is a time of praise and worship. Okay? And what I found out really quickly, if with my undiagnosed sleep apnea, which wouldn't be diagnosed for those 20 years, uh, <laughs> I got tired doing stuff on that. I mean, I was up for it every day, but Man, it's like I entered in this zone of tiredness. And sometimes when it's time for team prayer, that was the last thing on earth I wanted to do. I don't want to enter into this, like sing the songs and the spontaneous prayer and like, oh, stick a fork in my eyeball. No. <laughs> True story. But I found, because I'm, I'm a military guy, so I found that, you know, I'm, I'm committed to this, so I'm going to see it through. And what I found is that as I chose, even though I didn't feel like thanking God or praising him for anything in that moment, when I chose to enter in and I started to praise him, God, you're holy, I praise you. Jesus, you're merciful. I thank and praise you. And to thank God for the blessings that I've received, even though I'm not really feeling it in my heart, my heart caught up really quick. Very quickly did my heart awaken. And as the Spirit of God starts moving in our hearts, of course he's going to move us in praise and thanksgiving to God. So I can't tell you how much of a blessing it is. Now, this is, I learned that that year. I forgot it for a long time. God taught me again. I started doing it. I forgot again. And I learned it again a couple years ago. Okay. And it is the greatest blessing to take time every day to expand our capacity to praise and thanks God, thanks, give thanks to God by doing it whether we in season and out, whether we feel like it or not. And our heart gets trained in all the reasons we have to praise God for who he is and to thank him for what he's done. And that really changes uh, when I get to the Gloria. A lot of the musical settings for the Gloria are not adequate to what's going on in my heart when I want to praise and give glory to God. But that's okay. It's still a beautiful, powerful prayer. Okay. Woo! As I was saying, to, it takes some time to grow in a vocabulary of praise to God. Here are a bunch of titles of Jesus. There's 150 of these in the handout that um, Monsignor Pope gave today in his blog and uh, is available in that Dropbox download for you. Okay. okay, on from the Gloria. We go into the liturgy of the word. So, you know, 
You have those introductory rites that concludes with the Gloria. Then we enter into the two main parts of the Mass, the Liturgy of the Word and the Liturgy of the Eucharist. And I want you to think of those things in accord with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. In my little book, I talk about the road to Emmaus as a perfect school of prayer, revealing or seeing in real life what the dynamics of acknowledge, relate, receive, respond look like. You can read all about that. But think about this. As they were going on the way, after they finally agreed to tell Jesus what, what they were discussing, to relate honestly to him, though they don't recognize him, what was in their hearts, what does he do? He opens their minds to the understanding of Scripture. He interprets to them everything that referred to himself in Scripture. This was the best Bible study in history. I'm a great fan and very grateful big lover of Focus, who run Bible studies on Catholic campuses all over the place. And uh, love, love, love Focus. It's at the Sea Conference again this year. It's fantastic. But with all due respect to those missionaries, their Bible studies are nothing compared to the road to Emmaus, where Jesus himself, the living word, opens up all their understanding of all of our Old Testament, all of the Hebrew scriptures. You know, And we know that the New Testament is hidden in the Old, and the Old Testament is revealed in the New. There's all sorts of things that prefigure in our typologies of Jesus to come. So the flood of Noah, Noah prefigures our baptism in Christ, which make an end of sin and a new beginning to righteousness. Uh, the Passover, Jesus is the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Passover was great to free the Israelites from slavery in Egypt to, on their way to the inheritance of the promised land. But that's only a shadow and a prefiguring of the liberation we have in Jesus Christ by the shedding of his blood, the Lamb of God on the cross, that delivers, delivers us from sin and death and leads us to the everlasting life and promised land of heaven. Amen. Amen. Right? And there's dozens of those things throughout all of Scripture that is part of our Catholic wisdom of the understanding of Scripture, which was given to Cleopas and the other disciple on the road to Emmaus. So he opens their hearts to the understanding of Scripture, and we know their experience. Their hearts are burning within them. So all the confusion, sadness, doubt, fear, anger, resentment, despair that was happening because Jesus is dead by crucifixion, betrayed by the elders of the people who are supposed to welcome the Messiah and not reject him, all of that is being ministered to by divine love, mercy poured out in the form of understanding of Scripture. And as they're listening to that, their hearts are on fire, and they want to receive more. A new desire awakens, and they relate that honestly to Jesus. So as he looks like he's going out of they're like, no, please, stay, in, stay with us. Any excuse, because we want to hear more. So there's a new desire enkindled, which means a new capacity to receive in Kindle that's acknowledged and related to Jesus. And so they sit down, we're at table, he takes the bread, says the blessing, breaks the bread, and with that, their eyes are opened. And they recognize him. Friends, this is exactly what happens, is meant to happen for us at Mass, to hear the word of God and to receive understanding of the word of God that opens our hearts to desire, like, I want to be with you, Jesus. All these great and precious things that are revealed and communicated through your holy word, I want to enter into the lived experience of them. How can that happen? Ah, the liturgy of the Eucharist, I get to receive communion with you. It is the road to Emmaus every day. Or I should say, the road to Emmaus is just a shadow of the fullness that God offers us in the Mass. Okay. We want to receive the word of God. In John chapter 8, Jesus says to those Jews who believed in him, you are doing the works of your father, the devil. What? 
How is Jesus saying to those Jews who believed in, it, believed in him, not the ones who were trying to put him to death, the ones who believed in him, that they are doing the works of their father, the devil. That is, it's the devil who's begetting in them what's going on in their hearts in that moment. He says it again and again. He says, because my word has no room among you, therefore you are trying to kill me. And that is true. My, why is Jesus on the cross? He's on the cross because of my sin. What is my sin is every way that I have withdrawn or rejected the freely given gift of his love. When I don't receive Jesus' word, I'm pulling away from the love that's communicated in that word, and I am crucifying him. I am trying to put him on the cross again. That's the truth. And that's what he's saying to those uh, Jews who believed in him in John chapter 8. And it is a hard saying. It's a hard saying. So Jesus wants us to do the work of his Father in heaven. The Father, by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, wants to beget in us a great receptivity to Jesus, the living word, and God's gift of himself through his inspired word in the scripture. God's word is alive with power. In Genesis, God speaks and it comes into being. So when we hear about the saving love of God throughout salvation history, both in the Old Testament readings, the New Testament readings, and the gospel. When that word is proclaimed, the power of that word is available to us to accomplish what it reveals. Ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. I've heard that before. And we can't love what we don't know. So if Jesus is inviting me at every mass to enter into a nuptial communion of love with him as he, the bridegroom of the church, offers himself completely, body and blood, soul and divinity, for his bride and each member of his bride, the church, how can I grow in love with Jesus if I don't know him? Yeah, of course, a lot of the readings are lost on us if we are not oriented to the story of salvation in scripture. I can't uh, encourage you enough to get involved like in the Great Adventure Bible Study if you haven't done that before. I know that's uh, been all over your diocese at different times. Uh, to do anything you can do to grow. There's so many resources. We're just an embarrassment of riches for the Catholics in the world today in a way that was never true 30 years ago to understand every aspect of our faith including the great inspired word of God. Jesus says, when he's tempted in the desert. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I want to be oriented as I come to Mass to listening to that word, and I don't want any scrap or crumb to let, be let go because I need it for my life more than I need that loaf of bread, more than I need my food this week. I need the word of God because that's nourishing my everlasting, my eternal life, and not just keeping my body metabolizing the purpose of the homily. Father, no, <laughs> Father gave us a beautiful homily. It's to take the word of God to help it be received by the people who are hearing it proclaimed so that they can be led to an encounter with Jesus and then left there. The greatest thing a priest can have or deacon when they're preaching the homily is that people are drawn to a great silence a silence of intimate union with Jesus that looks forward to the sacramental communion with Jesus that's going to unfold next in the liturgy of the Eucharist. Just leave that there. Okay. Uh, 
I'm going to skip that because I want to refer you to Father Nigro's article on great ways to pray with Scripture in a very relational way that, that engages, acknowledge, relate, receive, respond. He's talking about the same reality in slightly different terms that many people find super helpful. So I encourage you to download that beautiful article and pay attention to it. How can we grow in our reception of the liturgy of the word? I want to encourage you to have a daily diet of the word of God in your life. Whether that's the daily mass readings or you're reading continuously or you're following a Bible reading plan like the Great Adventure Bible has that helps you to stick with the narrative story of salvation, whatever it is. But just take a little bit every day. Knowing that God on every page of scripture has a word for you and God wants to speak this word that brings his saving power to bear on the real stuff of your life today. And I already said the rest. Okay, good. After the homily, we stand, and what do we do? Let us profess the faith that comes to us from the apostles. Thank God for the eyewitness account of the apostles, on whom our faith is founded. Our faith is founded on Jesus, but there, we know about Jesus through the eyewitness of the apostles. And um, all the saints down through the ages. But faith comes through here. And we could go, we could spend many weeks just unpacking phrase by phrase the creed. And the catechism does that for us. So I encourage you to take a little chunk, a little phrase of the creed, and see what the catechism has to say about it. It will change your experience of encountering God at Mass when we profess the creed. But I want to draw your attention as I refer you to the catechism, to this reality. There are the four pillars in the catechism, right? The creed, the sacraments our moral life in Christ, the commandments, and the life of prayer. And there's a logic to those four parts. And they all complement each other. If one of the four is missing, things get weird in a hurry. Okay? So in the creed, this is what we know and believe about God. This is what God has revealed about himself throughout salvation history and in fullness in the gift of his eternal son, born of the Virgin Mary. This is the truth that we know about God in a uh, super condensed form when we profess the creed. The sacraments, these are the ways established by God that we worship, this is how we give worship to the God in whom we believe. So I believe these things about God, how do I worship God and with the worship that he's due? Through the gift of the sacraments. Preeminent among them, the Holy Eucharist, the source and summit of our faith. Because God is who he is, the creed, and I worship him the way that he has established the sacraments. That is, that is meant to make a real difference in the way that I live my life. That's the commandments. Because the commandments are not impossible ideals. The commandments are not random hoops that a control freak God demands that we jump through for his own entertainment. The commandments are ordinances of love by God who created us. So when you see a little thing, like in your new iPhone purchase at Christmas, that says, do not immerse in water, okay, it's not because the manufacturers are holding out on you and are control freaks. Like you're going to have a super phone if you just throw that thing in the toilet. No, that's not the case. The manufacturer knows that if you do this, you will do damage and ruin the thing. And they would spare you that misery. God who loves us knows what we're made for and the things that are contrary to what he made us for and that bring us misery and death in life. 
And he would spare us the misery that comes from sin because he loves us. And so he gives us the commandments. And finally, all of that, knowing God, worshiping God, living according to God's plan of love for my life and the commandments and the Beatitudes, all of that unfolds in the context of a personal relationship of growing intimacy with God. And that fourth section of the Catechism is an amazing synthesis of 2,000 years' experience and wisdom from the lives of the saints of how to grow in intimacy with God. It is a tremendous gift in our age. I believe. Faith comes through hearing, and I profess it. Okay. After that, we enter into the intercessions. The intercessory prayer. Jesus lives forever at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. Romans 8.34. And so we are invited to let our hearts be a tabernacle. The tabernacle was the meeting place where God made himself present to the Israelites. It was the portable tent structure in the desert for 40 years, and then the temple was built on that same model. The tabernacle is the meeting place where God is present, and we can enter into his presence. Well, God has made your heart his tabernacle from the day of your baptism. And in intercessory prayer, what we're invited to do is welcome people and their situations and their needs, whether those are people in our own family, close friends and other relatives, uh, or the needs of the world, to welcome them into our heart with compassion and then lift up our hearts to the Lord. And then, as we receive the grace of God, our hearts are filled with his merciful and saving love. That grace redounds to the people and circumstances for which we are interceding. Don't underestimate the power of being united with Jesus, who lives forever at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, when you and I are invited to intercessory prayer. It's powerful. And yes, the deacon or the lector or the priest will have the petitions for a given mass, but that doesn't keep you from bringing many others of these people and situations that you've welcomed in your heart right to that moment to offer them with the universal prayers of the faithful to God by way of intercession. Love, gratitude, and intercession go together. When I love someone, my heart is open to them, and I'm willing in compassion to welcome them into my heart. And because every person is a gift of God's love in the world, I receive that person with gratitude, even when they're really struggling, even when they're going through very difficult times. But out of love for that person that's full of gratitude to God for the gift of that person, I'm going to be moved to pray for them and their situations by way of intercession. Let Jesus be the Lord of your intercession. Oh, I don't have time. Okay. <laughs> On a retreat a number of years ago, I was praying for a very tragic situation, a family whose daughter died. And uh, my spiritual director was like, Oh, did you ask Jesus how to pray for that girl? Like, she's dying, it's sad, what? I prayed. Right. She, was, she took a week, she was head up. Pulmonary embolism was in hot, on a ventilator for a week and finally died. And uh, so I asked Jesus how to pray for her. And Jesus brought this image to mind of a young woman, who I think was this girl who was dying, walking through a vast group of people that were partying before it. I didn't understand what that image was about. And so I just told God what I saw and how it made me felt, feel and show, what are you trying to show me here? 
And then eventually the image kind of filled out, and I see at the front of this crowd is Jesus standing at the altar of a great and glorious cathedral, like a groom ready to receive his bride. And just the tears and this whole different way of praying for her came out of my heart that was led by the Holy Spirit of God. And two days later, she died. A month later, I talked to my priest friend who had the funeral, asked him how that all went. He said, well, when he was visiting with the dad, the one thing that this kept this dad from losing his mind at the tragic death of his daughter was that he realized that everything he had done her whole life was so that she would marry a man who truly loved her and gave her the reverence that she was due and gave everything that he was for her greatest good in authentic, Christ-like love. And he realized in the midst of his grief that on the day she died, all those hopes and dreams were fulfilled because she was wed to Christ. When my priest friend told me that, I, I did that, so my head kind of exploded. Right? Because I asked Jesus, Jesus, you show me how to pray for this situation. And he happened to give me this image. And when I prayed in that, I'm sure if my priest friend had asked Jesus to lead him, he would have been given a different image. But God, for whatever reason, in that moment called me to pray in that grace. And that was a grace that that father received and it made diff a real difference for him. Thanks be to God. So, I let Jesus be the Lord of my intercession. Who am I going to pray for? When am I going to pray for them? How often am I going to pray for them? Jesus, you bring to mind anyone you want me to pray for, and then you show me how to pray for them. So I'm trying to grow in my habit of welcoming with compassion all the various situations and needs. But I can't even begin. Even though I just mention those people by name, it's going to take up all my time to pray. So many people with cancer and other illnesses, so many families in distress, so many difficulties here, there, and everywhere, let alone the needs of the world if you happen to watch the news. Well, Jesus can bring up and show me what he wants me to pray with, when, and uh, how, and for whom. Our part is to seek and knock and ask, and to do so consistently, and not to give up doing it. That's what Jesus teaches us to pray. And in that passage, if you seek, you will find, knock, and the door will be open to you, ask, and you will receive. Those verbs are in the imperative. Jesus is commanding us, seek, knock, and ask. And so we give him honor and glory when we say yes to that, and we seek and knock and ask in his holy name for every good gift. Okay. People gossip, you know? Did you hear that people gossip? <laughs> that's funny. Come on. All right, that's all right. Intercession is the redemption of gossip. We don't gossip about nice things. Did you hear how wonderful and generous Father Christensen is? He's the best priest ever. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> that doesn't happen. We gossip about stuff that annoys us. We gossip about things that are messed up and broken and dark. God wants us to pray to him about those things. To lift those things up to him that his mercy can come into them and rearrange them and redeem them. Intercession is a redemption of gossip. So when we go to Mass, we want to take stock of our worries and the burdens of others that we're aware of and ask ourselves, have I spoken to God of these needs or am I just kind of fretting about them? Are they just stressing me out or causing me anxiety? I want to relate them honestly to God. Listen to the conversations of the people around you at your dinner table, in your home, in your community, at your schools, wherever you're at. You hear a lot. Walking through the grocery store, you hear a lot. Root out the illusions of self-sufficiency. We're never called just to figure this out and fix things or manage things the best way we can on our own. That is not in God's plan for us. He wants us to bring every need to him 
so that uh, we are maximally receptive to his grace and mercy. After the petitions, we have the offertory. And the bread and wine are brought forward. It's reminiscent of the bread and wine offered by the priest king Melchizedek, the king of Salem, right? That Abraham, after defeating the nine kings and uh, redeeming Lot, from, who got carried off and captive in that war, uh, he has all of this plunder from the victory that God gave him, and he goes to the priest king Melchizedek of, of Salem. And he offers a tenth part of everything that God has given him through this victory that God provided And Melchizedek takes that whole offering and presents it to God through a sacrifice of bread and wine, which the church has always seen as a prefiguring of Christ. And so we've been hearing in the letter to the Hebrews of these days that priest Jesus Christ is our great high priest in the line of Melchizedek. Not a hereditary priesthood like the Levites were, but one that has no beginning or no end. The great priest king Melchizedek is a type and a forerunner of Jesus, our great high priest. Okay. On that same holy mountain, God leads Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And at the last moment, the angel stops him. It's a test for Abraham. I see how dedicated you are, Abraham. They would not even withhold your only son. And Abraham names the place Yahweh Yireh. The Lord himself will see. And that has two meanings. He sees what's happening, and he will see to it. He will provide. So Yahweh Yireh, in the land of Salem. And there's a place today on earth called Yireh Salem that you and I pronounce Jerusalem. It's on that holy mountain where those things took place. And God indeed provided the gift of his only son to set us free from sin and death. And we are called to come to him with praise and thanksgiving and offer him what? Offer him everything that's going on in our lives. And yes, all of that offering of every person gathered at the Mass to be heaped upon the altar is presented to God through the bread and the wine as we offer them up to God. Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours, what is the sacrifice that you're bringing to God? What are you offering to God? He wants everything. He wants your heart. He wants all your situations and your relationships and everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly. That's what you can offer to God. That no one else can. No one can do that for you. But you want to. Why? For many reasons. But most especially in preparation for the epiclesis. You are holy indeed, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray, by sending down your spirit upon them like the dewfall. Have you given God the gift of yourself and everything in your life? Because in this moment with the Holy Spirit, where the priest is praying, the epiclesis, for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the bread and wine, but all that the bread and wine represent as an offering to God, to make them holy, I want everything in my life uh, vulnerable to the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit in that moment. To be made holy so that it can become the body and blood of Christ. Yes, of course, the bread and wine are transubstantiated into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. Amen. Amen. But we are members of Christ's body, and all our stuff is meant to be transubstantiated, transfigured, glorified. All the messes, all the brokenness, all the hurt, everything. 
that Christ redeemed by his once-for-all sacrifice on the cross, the power of that redemption is being made present and effective for us on this altar at this moment, and I want everything in my life to be on that altar for that outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Woo! <sighs> also, the offertory is not often entered into in that way because people are scrambling for their checkbooks. Because <laughs> the basket's coming around. Oh. Did you bring the envelope? Right? And I just want to say something about the tithe. I won't go into it because we don't have time. Read Ted Koppel's book. He wrote a book on the, the dangers of an EMP pulse, of losing the power grid. And it's called, you know, Ted Koppel from Nightline fame, right? Yeah. yeah. And I, I can't remember if it's called uh, Lights Out. I think it's called Lights Out. But he has a fascinating section in there on the Mormon church. Like on the part of preppers, like who's people who, because the government's not doing anything about this vulnerability, so people are taking it a lot upon themselves. And he describes in a way I never knew the whole system of charity that the Mormons have. So every local bishop, which would be like four or five of our parishes in an area maybe, that's a Mormon bishop, uh, has a store. It's like, it's like Walmart for the members of the congregation. And Mormons are very strong on self-sufficiency, like you're going to prepare yourself for hard times. But if a member in good standing, and that's where it gets a little manipulative, but a member in good standing falls on hard times, you know, until they can get back on their feet, they have everything provided for them by this warehouse. I mean, they have everything, like, like Walmart has everything. And they own that one gas station. Is it, um, is it Flying J or is it... Uh, that's Mormon-owned, right? They have distribution centers bigger than Costco's warehouses across the country to supply this whole thing. Well, you know, how many, how many Mormons are there in the United States? 10 million? Maybe? It's a lot fewer than there are Catholics, I'll tell you that. And all that is funded through the Mormons who actually take tithing seriously. Oh, my heavens! What the Catholic Church could be equipped to do just in the works of charity if Catholics actually tithed. Okay, that's all I want to say. <laughs> of course, everything, right? God doesn't have claim on 10% of my wealth. He has claim on everything. But he is generous, and he only asks for me to dedicate to him 10%. And that's also an ordinance for our own benefit. Because if I can't be happy with, with 90%, I'll never be happy with 90%. And God knows that about us because of the way he put us together. And he would spare us that misery. Forget it. This can take five minutes and we'll stop when we stop. Okay. <laughs> this outpouring of the Holy Spirit at the Epiclesis in the Eucharistic prayer, like I mentioned, um, is so important because Jesus did everything he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, he shows us, you and me, how we're meant to live. And so Jesus says, in, uh, when he goes uh, home and he takes the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to proclaim a year of favor of the Lord. That's the jubilee year where everything that's been lost or squandered is restored. That's the jubilee year. And Jesus brings that fullness of restoration. And the power of the Holy Spirit is upon him to do it. The Holy Spirit operates in our life to reveal Jesus to us. I cannot know Jesus. I don't have faith except by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit makes it possible for me to know Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is the one who labors to configure me to Jesus. 
The Holy Spirit sometimes is kind of an overlooked reality of our faith. Kind of the tag on at the end of the creed and, you know, things like that. But he's essential. And it's better for us that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Otherwise, we would not receive the Holy Spirit. That's how important Jesus regards the Holy Spirit in our lives. So the epiclesis, if I place my life on the altar, is a great time to be begging God to be filled with every grace and blessing of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit of God, help me to know Jesus more and more. Strengthen my faith. I believe, help my unbelief. Strengthen my faith, Holy Spirit of God, and unite me more perfectly, configure me to his perfect humanity. Jesus says that we will do the works that we do and greater works than these by the power of the same Spirit in which he did and said what he said and did. The institution, the moment where the bread and wine become the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus. We can go on forever about this. But it's really a moment that should bring us to silence. And in fact, in the Mass, we have the mystery of faith. When the priest, acting in the person of Christ, says, take this and eat it. This is my body. This is my blood. And the bread and wine become the body, blood, soul and divinity of Jesus. There is a, there's a reason that the priest genuflects in adoration and worship between each of those moments of the consecration. And then the stepping back from the altar, the mystery of faith. What is a mystery? In theological terms, it's not a whodunit. It's something that I can know, but I, I have not encompassed. There's something that I, I can know something about it, but there's always more to know. And it's endless. You are a mystery made in God's image and likeness. God is an infinite divine mystery. The trinity of persons, one God. That's mysterious in this proper theological sense. Which is why heaven will never get boring. Because even when we see God face to face, there's always going to be infinitely more to receive of the mystery of God and all of his works. And so we pause and we say, the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. That's a good synthesis of the whole story and what we're all about in this worship of the living God who is making himself present to us. I'll close with this. Sights in the Holy Land. When I went back to the Holy Land, I've been there twice. Once right before I was ordained deacon and then a couple years ago as the head of the biblical school when I was rector of the seminary out in Denver. And um, what I didn't recognize, what I didn't realize when I wasn't a priest is that at every sight of the mysteries of Jesus' life, the readings and prayers of the Mass that's celebrated by groups that come there every day, day after day, you know, nine or ten groups a day, like one after another, um, like at the Transfiguration, what readings do you use? The, the Gospel of the Transfiguration and the readings that go with that mystery of Christ's life and the prayers that are proper to that solemnity for the rest of us around the world are prayed every day, many times a day, on the place where it took place because the church never gets tired of it. We've been meditating on each moment of Jesus' life for 2,000 years as a church and we've only just begun because these are mysteries of faith. There's so much more for us to receive in every moment of Jesus' life. So whatever the mass of the day is, whatever moment or slice of the saving mystery of Christ that's being presented before us, it can be mine to great effect. And what Jesus wants to do by virtue of our baptism is this totality of intimacy about which we've been speaking. Jesus, by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, wants to draw us to share in every moment of his life. 
So at his baptism, where the Father, the heavens open, we hear the voice of the Father as the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus, saying, You are my beloved Son, and with you I'm well pleased. Jesus' desire, by grace, is to unite us to him, that we can experience that love even as he did. Father, I pray that the love with you, which you love me may be in them, John chapter 17, and I in them. And then Jesus, because he loves us with a spousal love, longs to be welcomed into every moment of our life. Confronting the object considered with the reality of our own lives. Remember? Jesus, who goes before us in every moment of our life, begs and longs in love for us to welcome him into whatever's going on so that he can share the whole of our lives with him. He's not going to impose himself because love and the communion of love is freely offered and must be freely received and reciprocated. If it's forced, if it's mandated, it's not, it violates its nature. It's not love. And so, when we proclaim the mystery of faith, it's a time to pause and remember all that God has done. If you've read uh, Scott Hahn's great book, A Father Who Keeps His Promises, the history of the covenants from a couple to a family in Noah to a tribe in Abraham to a nation under Moses, to a kingdom under David. These are the five Old Testament covenants of which Jesus is referring at the Eucharist when he says, this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant. And it is the summation and the fulfillment of all those great and precious promises and the whole labor of God's saving mercy throughout salvation history that is being culminated at Jesus' crucifixion in his death and resurrection, in his suffering, death, and resurrection. And that's what made, is made present and effective for you and me every time we go to Mass. I want to remember, as we come to the climax of the Mass, the mystery of faith, all that God has done. And the more familiar with that I am of that history, the more I take time to learn that, the more moving and powerful it can be day by day. Oh, that's the remembering that makes present, the anamnesis, which is right after the uh, mystery of faith, the whole history of salvation. And then in the end, what's this all leading to? Through Jesus, with him, and in him. and the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours, almighty Father, forever and ever. Amen. Christiform participation in divine life. That's a definition of grace. That through Jesus, with him, and in him. It's the title of Bishop Gruce's pastoral letter. We have access to the infinite, eternal communion of love of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. We are adopted sons and daughters with Jesus Christ of our Heavenly Father through baptism, and we are co-heirs with Christ to the kingdom of God. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, and he does so not just as a legal transaction, but by drawing us into relationship where we can cry out to him, Abba, Father, and that we can receive his peace and a living communion with him. There we'll stop. Okay. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, I pray that these hours together would enkindle in each one of our hearts a new horizon of hope and desire, anticipation, and trust-filled expectation that you have so much more that you want to pour out upon us. Tsunamis of love, tsunamis of grace, tsunamis of healing, 
tsunamis of growing intimacy with yourself that we can share in your very life and recognize and welcome you into every moment of our own lives. Expand our desires. Enkindle our trust and expectation. Help us to believe. Help us to do adore. Help us to be empowered by your Holy Spirit to make you known and loved more and known and loved more by every person. Jesus. Help us to uh, experience the healing and abundant fruit which glorifies the Father that is made possible by your once for all sacrifice made present for us at every holy mass. Jesus, let us be so uh, caught up in the power of your saving grace every time we come to worship you in the Mass, that we cannot contain ourselves. And we'll be dragging our brothers and sisters to accompany us to this great gift where you await us in such humility and immediacy. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This last slide is just a list, and it's in the thing that you can download, of the things that we touched on in those four hours. I know that was a whirlwind, okay? Uh, but you can go back and revisit it. You get the idea. Every moment of Mass is significant. There's a gift for us in each moment of Mass and a way to enter into it much more deeply and relationally with God who loves us in the full measure of his saving power of Jesus Christ. <sighs> Thanks so much for being here. It's been a great year. Thank you, Father. Well, I, I, just amazing that it just opened up a whole uh, new horizon. Always great to hear it again for the first time. But um, I just thank you for your priesthood. Thank you for your priesthood. Thank you for your years of uh, service. Um, and thank you for the sacrifice of coming out here and accepting our invitation to come, come out to vacation land in South Dakota. So, yeah, you know, you're always welcome out here. But I know it is a sacrifice to you personally, but also for your people whenever we're away from our parishioners. And uh, so we're very grateful for that, for the insights that you've given us into the, the Mass. Um, perhaps, uh, perhaps you'll be back again. Um, because it's just amazing as we think about it that as we go to Mass tonight or tomorrow, uh, once again, that uh, we're there at the Annunciation. We're there at the crib in Bethlehem. We're there on the Sea of Galilee. We're there in the temple of the synagogue of Jesus. We're there at Calvary. We're there as he rises. We're on the way to Emmaus. We're there with the Lord in glory. Um, and so at each and every moment, the mystery just continues to envelop us and take us up into the love of God. So once again, thanks to Father Trainer. He's got to get back to his parish. Uh, so we wish him well and safe travels. God bless you. Thank you so much.